Hello beautiful, welcome to another episode of When Marriage Hurts podcast. Um, This is episode number 17, I believe. Um, It's the part two of last week's episode talking about how I decided that um, divorce was right for me. Um, So on this episode, I'm going to be continuing the story and get to the heart of how I decided on divorce and I knew that there was no looking back from that point on. Um, So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Hey sis, welcome to the When Marriage Hurts podcast. I'm your host, Ola Davis. My mission is to help Christian women in painful marriages become aware of the marriage lies our society and religion has programmed our heads with. Are you tired of marriage advice that always blames you for whatever goes wrong in your marriage? Have you attended all the marriage seminars seeking help only to be blamed and shamed for your marriage problems? Has your marriage become the source of your greatest pain? Have you lost hope of being happily married? Are you just hanging in for the sake of your kids? I've been there before. I know what it is like to feel alone in marriage, yet feel trapped by the wedding vows that I made. Together, we will discover scriptural truths that set us free from the pain so that healing can begin. Oh yeah, let's shake some tables. Welcome back. So last week, um, I told you a bit about my story, specifically about the period of time, kind of like a background, really, of the events that led up to me filing for divorce and how I came to that decision. So if you haven't listened to the last episode, episode number 16, um, you might want to listen to that to give you some context to better understand what I'm going to be talking about in this episode, because this is more or less the continuation. It's a part two of last week's episode. Okay. Um, yes. So at this point, I mean, last week I told you about how the plan for me to get out of my marriage, get out of the abuse, was to move to Canada where I was going to be able to get myself in a good place financially um, so that I can leave the marriage without fear of how am I going to take care of myself? How am I going to take care of my kids? Right? So... We were in Canada. I told you about how when we got to Canada, um, my husband kind of dropped the idea that it wasn't going to let me or the kids live in Canada. He kind of liked the idea of his kids growing up in Canada as well and going to school here. So um, that wasn't something that he threatened me with anymore. But when he went back to Nigeria, the abuse continued um, it was still very mean to me, which I didn't think was going to happen. I thought that 
his absence was gonna mean peace for me but it wasn't the abuse just got worse even though we weren't living together at the time um verbal abuse it was emotionally abusive it was very controlling it was mean and at that point i told i i just came out straight and told him i was no longer interested in the marriage and he became very apologetic um he started acting all nice and then when he came to visit in the december of that year um, he essentially became Mr. Nice Guy. And I was deceived. <laughs> I was deceived into thinking, okay, maybe this guy's turned around. And that is what happens to a lot of us abused women, is that we get confused by our husband's good behavior. We get so confused and even though we know that this this person treats me badly most often than not, but those few times that they are all nice and they are almost like everything you've always wanted in a husband, they are, they suddenly become that wonderful person you fell in love with at the very beginning. That confuses us because you're trying to reconcile that good person to the very mean person that causes you so much hurt and pain. And that's what psychologists call cognitive dissonance. I believe uh, we spoke, I, I discussed this in, in at least one of the past episodes. Cognitive dissonance is when your brain is struggling to essentially reconcile the fact that this person behaves badly and then they also are good and you're trying to justify that. So your brain is like, well, you know, is not really a bad guy because it's doing all these good things. Maybe he was just stressed out. The other time that it was so mean to me. Maybe maybe it's just under a lot of stress. Maybe it's his job. And our brain keeps making these excuses to make it make sense. To help us make sense of the chaos. So that was my state of mind at that at that point. I was in a better place. I was financially stable. Um, it looked like my wonderful husband was back and he had repented of his horrible ways. And there was no more talk about divorce or separation or anything like that. And, you know, life just continued, right? <laughs> it's funny how, I mean, it's sad really. But when I think about myself, I just think it's funny how someone's good acts can make me quickly forget how horrible they were to me in the past, right? Can completely shift my, the way I perceive 
every evil thing, every evil they had done to me towards the past. Like this is someone that abused me to the point where I was considering taking my own life as a way out. And then just because they say, I'm sorry. And mind you, they never, he never told me specifically what he was sorry about. <laughs> but I mean, I wasn't at that point, I, I, I wasn't wise enough to recognize when one is, when a person is genuinely sorry, you know, as opposed to when they are just sorry because they got caught or they are just sorry because they don't want to face the consequences of their actions. That's not genuine repentance anyway. At that point, I didn't have the knowledge. I wasn't wise. Um, I didn't know much about how these things worked. So I, I didn't know that he was only apologizing because he didn't want a divorce. I mean, this was something that was going to tarnish his image, you know, like he's someone that has like a bulletproof public image. So I was deceived and he started displaying all this good behavior, which showed me that this guy knew how to behave like he knew all the right things. He was just not willing to do them. Like I, I was not worth, I, I wasn't worth that to him, sadly. And that, I mean, that's just not, that's not just a personal thing. It's the real reality of abusive marriages. The reason your husband treats you badly is because you're not worth treating like a decent human being. You know, so uh, we we try to make these excuses like, oh, he's treated me good in the past, so I know that he has the good in on the inside of him. I know that he he has the good on the inside of him. Well, guess what? It doesn't really matter <laughs> if he's treating other people well and with respect, and he treats you like trash. That's just proof that he really knows how to treat. A person with respect is just not doing that for you. I know that's a hard pill to swallow, but that's the reality. So, anyways, I'll keep, I'll continue with my story. So, he suddenly became Mr. Good Guy, taking care of the kids, telling me how much he loves me, how much he appreciates me. He would even I mean, started doing things he never used to do. <laughs> like sometimes he would cook, you know, just try to be romantic in some ways. And I was deceived by all of that because I thought I was experiencing what I was um, observing in him was genuine repentance. And so we continued our lives that way. Um, and then he went back to Nigeria. And then, of course, when COVID hit, his travel plans to come um, spend some time in Canada was affected by that. Um, but eventually he was able to come. And I was so excited about that, right? Like, oh, my husband's going to be around again. And because at this point, I thought we were good. Our marriage was good. We were in a good place. Mind you, they're wearing any interventions like we net we we didn't seek counseling there was never a point 
well, at that point, there, there, there was no discussion around what had happened in the past. There was never a time we sat down together and I'm like, look, I was close to getting a divorce. And even though we're, we seem to be in a good place now, we need to discuss what happened in the past before we move forward. I, we just never had that discussion. I was too distracted. <laughs> I was too distracted with life, distracted with taking care of the kids. So when, when my husband came around, he still continued in his niceness um, and all those things. But after a while, he started pulling back. He started being neglectful again, like he used to be. Um, I mean, the verbal abuse wasn't there now, right? But he was still neglectful. He couldn't be as verbally abusive as he used to be towards me because, I mean, what was he going to say now? I now had a stable job. I was making a decent amount of money. So unlike in the past where he would say things to me like I was I was useless and I, I was no good to him, he couldn't say those things anymore because <laughs> I was bringing home some bacon, right? So the verbal abuse wasn't there, but it was still neglectful. It still kept his distance. It still, it was just um, buried in his work. Having him get involved with, with the kids was like, it was like an annoyance to him. He just, the kids and I were like, we were just like accessories in his life, really. We weren't like family. We were just like these things that made his life look good and normal on the outside. There was no emotional connection, except it was convenient, you know. So you would only see like glimpses of emotional con connection when it was convenient for him. You know, after a few months... I, I just knew that I was kind of being pulled back into this place of despair. And I couldn't really identify what the issue was. Because when someone isn't coming at you, when they aren't verbally attacking you like they used to, you're not, if you're not knowledgeable, you're not immediately thinking they're abusing you. I just knew he was neglectful. I knew that he didn't... I was, I used to just have my two kids to take care of when he was in Nigeria. And now that he was here, I was just taking care of the whole family. I had to take care of not just the kids, but another grown adult, my husband, right? Like when you have another adult in your home, you would expect that you don't take the full responsibility of that, of running that home. There should be a degree of shared responsibility. So I saw that that was lacking. I saw that even when I, I would fall sick because I was doing too much in the home, I was the only one responsible for taking the kids to school, taking them to doctor appointments. Like my husband just couldn't be bothered with all that crap. <laughs> you know, they were like distractions to his life essentially. I was the only one doing all these things and I still had to make sure that 
you know, I, I fed him, fed the kids, you know, cooked him the meals that he, he wanted and on time and all of that. And I, I still had a full-time job. And by this point, I not only had a full-time job, I was also running a business, <laughs> right? Because my husband was working, his job was abroad, right? He wasn't working in Canada. He was, his job was still in Nigeria. And there was always this pressure of money at the end of the month. Cause he always had excuses like, well, you know, the exchange rate of the, you know, the Naira to the Canadian dollar is, is terrible and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'm waiting on this promotion at job. He always had excuses why he couldn't get money to us in a timely fashion. Or maybe, oh, I haven't been able to change the money so there was all this financial pressure that I was having to bear alone because, you know, the bills that we had to pay were in my name. If we made late payments or if we weren't able to make payments in, in a timely fashion, I was the one who was going to be on, on the hook for it. It was going to be on my credit. So there was no sense of family, no sense of unity as a couple. I was bearing all this financial pressure alone and my husband would just get money whenever it was convenient for him. So it was really getting to me. My health was starting to decline. <laughs> I went from being, you know, doing fairly well not having to take blood pressure medication anymore because I had been on blood pressure medication for three or four years at that point. But I got into a point where I was getting, my blood pressure was getting so regulated that my doctor didn't, need, didn't think I needed to take medication anymore. So I, w I went from that to being really stressed out. My blood pressure was going sky high and I had to go back on meds. I had to go back on blood pressure meds. Um, I was always tired. I woke up, I went to bed tired. I woke up tired. And when I say I went to bed tired, I woke up tired. It wasn't just from doing stuff. It wasn't just, oh, I'm just so worn out from cleaning the home or cooking meals. No, it was it was just the emotional burden is what was wearing me out. You know, I know there are some of you listening to me today that you really struggle to accept that your marriage might be abusive because you know that you're married to a wonderful man who maybe is even a Christian, may, maybe who is even a church leader. My husband was a church leader, probably still is, I don't know. So maybe your husband doesn't hit you. Like you read the stories of abuse in the news and you are like, well, my husband is just would never do that to me. And it makes you feel maybe, maybe you just have marriage problems. Maybe your husband isn't really abusive. But I'm telling you, the... The terrible thing about emotional abuse 
is that it leaves you it doesn't just hurt your emotions it hurts your body it it wears down your physical health <laughs> because you carry so much scars you carry so much emotional scars that begin to manifest in your body as illness as disease like i have had the opportunity to interact with a lot of women who have been in emotionally abusive marriages and not one of them is physically healthy that's not a coincidence that stuff wears your body down so i was i i started having chronic fatigue that i was calling sick into work i would have to go to the doctor the doctor would put me on iron like i would start taking iron tablets which is supposed to help with my energy level but it never really worked <laughs> it never really worked because what i was suffering from wasn't just physical ailment okay it was the root cause of the health conditions i was battling with was really the emotional abuse that i was facing in my home so yeah i just we i should probably do an episode in the future where we talk about the the toll that emotional abuse takes um on your body is it toil no i don't know i'm getting sidetracked by my english grammar again <laughs> not the toil the toll i think toll is the word yeah it takes it takes a significant toll on your body so i think um i should probably do an episode on that in the near future so my health was failing yet again it was like the longer that we stay together and i by staying together i mean living together the more my health declined emotional abuse sucks the life out of you that's just the easiest nicest way to put it like it sucks the light, life out of you literally so it drains you of energy it drains you of joy it drains you of the ability to even see the situation you're in because when when it takes that uh physical toll on your body you think that you're just having health issues most women don't recognize that what they're experiencing is that the emotional abuse is is what's destroying their their physical health like i was saying my health was declining i I was having to call out of work. I was having to see the doctor more often. I was having to go back on medication that I didn't need, you know, prior to that. And in all of this, my husband was just living his best life essentially. <laughs> you know, sometimes I would complain that, you know, it would be nice if we both take responsibility and 
do things for this family and he will just get so hangry and start talking about you know i do stuff for the kids i make out time to to do this and that for the kids i make out time to do this i make out time and i'll be like dude when you're talking about your family, you shouldn't even be using words like I make out time. You shouldn't be trying to make out time for your family. Your family should be priority. They shouldn't be like some extracurricular activity that you make out time for. Let's get our priorities straight here. You have a wife. You have two young children. You shouldn't be trying to make out time for them. They should be your priority. And you know, and now I wasn't trying to teach him something he didn't know. Because my husband was a pastor. He was teaching men this stuff. (laughs) That's the irony of it all. He was the guy that would teach men. This is how you should do. This is how you should do in marriage. This is how you should take care of your wife. This is how you should take care of your kids. You know, you shouldn't have anything that's more important than that. He was teaching men these things, but it was all fake. It was all fake. He would say things that he knows would make me happy. So he would say things like, oh, you know, I'm probably, I'm going to just get a job here in Canada. I'll probably get a job here in Canada and you know, then we can be together. That's what psychologists call future faking. They will tell you things that will give you hope. Things that made me think, oh, maybe when he's not having to work in a different time zone and, you know, maybe our lives would be easier and maybe he would do all those things he's neglecting to do. But it was just future faking and I fell for it. And then over time, I noticed that He was becoming controlling again. So like I said, the verbal abuse wasn't playing in anymore at this point. But he still had this subtle controlling moves. There would be things I would want to discuss with him that had to do with us, do with our family. And he would just shut me down and be like, no, don't bring that up. Don't, I'm not interested in discussing that. I've told you this is how it's going to be. This is what I'm going to do. And don't even ever bring it up ever. And it will just shut me down. (laughs) And after a while, I realized that things weren't getting better. I thought we were in a better place, but things weren't getting better. And that was when I started thinking of the fact that, hey, I wanted to divorce this man just a couple of years before. And for some reason, I just never considered divorce anymore. And the same issues we had before then that brought me to a point of being suicidal in my life, those same issues are still present. I was just being deceived into thinking this person had repented of their ways. So I just thought to myself, I needed to speak about this to my husband. Like, we need to get help. We need to talk about what's happened in the past before we can move forward. So I called my husband that fateful day. And I told him, I was like, 
you know, we had a rough time just a couple of years back in our marriage where I wanted divorce and you didn't want us to part ways and you promised you were going to, you know, get better, whatever. Um, but you know what we had then were some very serious issues that at, at some point I became suicidal and I've mentioned this to you before that I was suicidal. And I'm saying all this to my husband and he's just staring at me with a blank face. And I was like, you know what? It's kind of weird that anytime I mention to you that about that period of time in our marriage that I became suicidal, it doesn't seem to bother you. I never get a, re a, a response or reaction out of you. And that has always bothered me. Because it just seemed to me like you don't care that your wife almost killed herself. And he just kept staring at me with a blank face. And I was like, well, I'm expecting a response from you now. I'm not just making a comment. And then he says, um, yeah, well, you know, I just didn't know what to say. I just didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to respond to that because you don't seem to me like someone that could ever be suicidal. I was like, okay, I can understand that, but I just thought most men would be bothered by the fact that their wives almost killed themselves, like you almost became a widower. Anyways, I just kept going because it was obvious I wasn't going to get any <laughs> any further response out of him. So I was like, I just think we should talk about this stuff before we can move forward. Like I felt like everything was swept under the rug and we just can't, there's no um, way we could move forward if we don't deal with these things that happened in the past and have an honest discussion about it. And it was like, well, yeah, if you want to go to counseling, whatever you want to do, of course, I'm, I'm all in for that. I was like, okay, that's, that's you know, that's good. Um, but I want you to know that I didn't just become suicidal because I got depressed and got suicidal, but I got depressed and suicidal because of how you had treated me in this marriage. And my sisters, the moment I said that, the monster came flying out. <laughs> like all hell broke loose because I did to bring him into the situation, I dared to say the truth that the reason I'd become depressed and suicidal was because of his poor treatment of me. He just flew into this rage. His eyes grew bigger. He started talking about, you better be careful what you say. You better be careful the kind of narrative you're creating here. This and that. And I just sat there scared stunned, shocked. Like, how can a person even get this angry and fly into a rage just because I said you treated me poorly to the point where I was depressed and suicidal? So he flew into this rage because he, he, he felt like it was a personal attack on him. And, you know, Later down the road, I kind of understood that this was a normal reaction for someone who displays 
narcissistic traits, <laughs> which, you know, is a whole other topic for another day. Yeah, so he, he went into this rage and he started saying things like, you know, whatever is done to a person does not matter. It is how they respond to it that matters. And that is what I believe. And I believe that no matter what a person does to you, it doesn't really matter what people do to you is how you respond to it. And I was like, well, you know, that's that's a wonderful quote. And to a large extent, I do believe that as well. But it's a marriage relationship we're talking about here. There's no way that what one spouse does doesn't affect the other spouse. You know, in marriage is not so simplistic where you would say, you know, what is done to you doesn't matter. It's how you respond to it. No, that doesn't, it doesn't work that way in marriage because what the other person does, does affect you. And it was like, well, he doesn't agree with that, with those kind of sentiments. And, you know, somewhere in me, I still believe that my husband was just clueless. I still believe that if I could really help him see how he was hurting me, if I could really help open his eyes to see how his behavior affected me, I could turn things around. And I tell you, abused wives almost always fall into the same ditch. You know, that ditch where you're thinking, you know, if I could just... If I just keep praying for him, his eyes is going to be opened and he's going to see how badly he's treating me and he's going to just turn around. He's going to see how his behavior hurts me and he's just going to turn around. My sister, I'll tell you something right now. It does not work that way. If you have a husband that treats you poorly, that says things that makes you hurt, and he does not treat other people that way, then you have to know that he's not ignorant of his behavior towards you. If your husband has people that he treats better than he treats you, so it could be his friends, it could be his colleague, um, colleagues at work, his co-workers, it could be his business partners, it could be church members, it could be neighbors, it doesn't matter. If he always treats those people better than he treats you, he's not ignorant of what he's doing. Your, mari- your, your prayer isn't going to fix him. I know that that's difficult for a lot of women to believe because we think, oh, prayer can fix anything. Well, prayer doesn't override people's will. Your husband is making a conscious decision to treat you poorly, to abuse you because he wants to. I'll repeat that again. Your husband is making a conscious decision to abuse you and treat you poorly because he wants to. We like to make all these excuses for them and be like, well, you know, it's because of the home he came from. It's because, you know, the culture we come from. That's how people listen. If the home he came from and the culture he came from doesn't make him treat other people poorly, 
it only makes him treat you poorly. It's time to drop those excuses and open your eyes to the reality here. So going back to my story, <laughs> I'm getting sidetracked quite a few times here, but I, I think it's important to pause and emphasize those points. So going back to my story, I believe that if I could just make this man see how damaging his behavior is towards me, if he can really see it, then he would understand. And then when he understands, he would be willing to, when he understands and sees from my point of view, we can start to mend this marriage, right? That was what I told myself. That was a lie I was telling myself in that moment. So I was like, you know what? Let me try and explain this to you. I'll give you an analogy of two people living in the same house and one of them attacks the other with a knife. And he attacks the other person with a knife multiple times, almost to the point of death. But, you know, luckily this person survives that knife attack. They don't die. They're wounded and everything but they do not die. They are treated of their wounds and whatnot. But they still, both of them still keep living in the same house. Now, if that person that survived the knife, horrible knife attack, still living in the same house with their attacker, if they walk into the kitchen one day and see their attacker holding a knife, you know, it's going to scare them so much that they could just run out the door for safety. I said, so in that kind of scenario, would you say that what the attacker did mattered or would you say that it, it didn't matter what the attacker did? It, it just matters that the victim chooses to respond that way and run away. Or would you say that to, to an extent that kind of response from the victim is as a result of the history they had with that attacker. And my husband looks at me and is like, of course, it's not the, the person that, that the, is the attacker is not responsible for anything. It's the victim who runs away. They are the one responsible for, for their own reaction, so to say, <laughs> and the attacker isn't. And when he said that, I was stunned. I was beyond shocked. And my eyes opened. Like every single excuse, every single lie I had told myself over the last couple of years about how my husband didn't know what he was doing, how, you know, he just I just need to help him see. We just need a counselor to help him see. Everything just fell flat. Everything just, it just all fell by the wayside because I had given him this very simple analogy and he was looking back at me, telling me that essentially that if someone is hurting you so much, almost to the point of not just destroying your life, but killing you essentially, it really does not matter. It's how you respond to that that matters. I was stunned. 
And he started getting very impatient and annoyed with the whole conversation. And he's like, what's this conversation about? What are we even talking about? Why? What's, what's the whole point? I'm tired. I want to go to bed. And I'm like, I just have one question for you. I tried to divorce you two years ago. You begged me to stay. You said you were going to get better. If I decide to leave this marriage now again, will you just let me go in peace and not try to keep me staying here? And he looked at me and he was like, of course, sure, if that's what you want. And he's like, is that all? I'm like, yeah, that's all. And he got up and went to bed. And I sat at that table for like the next three minutes and I knew that my life was essentially crumbling all around me. I knew that this was it. I knew, like, there was just this heaviness and grief that came over me because I knew it was over. Everything I had held on to up till that point just fell apart and I knew this was the end of my marriage I knew I was either going to stay and have my life being destroyed have my health continually being destroyed or I was going to get out and I was going to get out quick like my eyes just the scales just fell off my eyes at that point And, you know, that grief came over me. I was practically grieving like a widow who had just lost her husband. (laughs) You know, but the difference here is that the husband was still alive and I never really had him. That's the thing. I was deluded into thinking that I had him as a husband, as a partner, but I never did. He had just used me all those years. I never had him. So, my sisters, I can almost feel that weight of heaviness all over me again as I narrate the story to you. But if I were to tell you that I made that decision right there and then, that I was going to file for divorce, I would be lying to you. And that might shock you that even when I knew the truth, even when my eyes became really opened, I still struggled with the idea of leaving that marriage because, you know, that cognitive dissonance thing kicked in again. I started telling myself that, well, maybe I don't need to divorce him, right? Like he's going to go back to Nigeria soon. At that point, he had lived in Canada for like over a year, but he was still working remotely, right? And his employer in Nigeria let him do that. So I started telling myself, you know, maybe... Maybe I don't have to file for divorce. I know he doesn't care about me. At this point, he probably detests me and he's just using me right now. Um, But maybe I don't have to file for divorce. He's going to go back to Nigeria, right? And he would only be visiting once a while. He's going to be far, far, far away. And I wouldn't have to endure his abuse. And, you know, we can just stay in this dead marriage and just carry on like nothing's wrong. I can do my thing. He can do his own thing. Um, But maybe I don't have to actually file for divorce. (laughs) 
I am not kidding you. Like I just sat across the table from someone that practically told me that my life did not matter to him. And I was still thinking of ways to stay in that marriage. I know this is crazy, but this is what we do all day long as abused women. So it was a real struggle for me. I could not unhear what I had heard and I could not unsee what I had seen. So I had a decision to make and it was going to be like the hardest decision of my life. I had seen the level of mess I was in, but somehow I was still clinging to hope that did not exist. I was still clinging to hope of being able to maintain the status quo. Right now, this was me that was all ready for the divorce two years prior. Right. And now it's like, I feel like I can't take that step anymore. <laughs> it was the hardest decision of my life. Now, two years prior, I was in a state where I was just trying to survive. Like I had to, I had to get out of that marriage to survive. I was going to die in that marriage if I didn't get out. Right. And now two years after I'm like, well, maybe I can manage, you know, maybe I can reduce the level to which this guy hurts me. Maybe I can just manage to have all this health conditions and diseases, but maybe I can still hang on and try not to die. Essentially, that's how my subconscious was thinking about this. But it was the it was the hardest decision of my life. I was weeping. I was crying. I bro I I essentially broke down. A couple of days after that, I broke down. I couldn't. I felt physically sick. I had to take time off work because I could not function. Um, I started having anxiety attacks. Like all sorts of craziness just because I couldn't let go of this marriage <laughs> even though I it was it was hop hopping in flames but I could not it's like it's like when you are in a burning house and the what are they called the oh my goodness why can't I just think straight today <laughs> I mean it's for me, it's a very emotional story. So if I'm just struggling to find an English word, um, I hope you can understand. But it's like, it's like I'm in this burning house and the rescue team, you know, the firemen are outside. They're like, come out, come out, like just come out. You know, we have or jump through the window or something. And the smoke is like overpowering. And I almost can't breathe anymore. But the rescuers are out there and like, they're just like, jump out of the building, we'll catch you. And I'm still thinking, well, maybe it's actually safer for me here. Maybe I should just stay here. Maybe the smoke isn't really going to get bad. Maybe the fire isn't really going to burn me. Essentially, that's, it's like the same thing, ladies. <laughs> when we get to that point where we've actually seen and heard like every excuse you've given your husband just does not hold up anymore because you have seen them to be who they really are 
but you just rationalize in your mind like maybe this isn't as bad maybe it's not as bad as I'm thinking of it maybe you know maybe I can just have the smoke overpower me maybe I won't actually die in this fire because the thought of jumping out of that window scares you so much even though you know that you're going to be rescued but you want to hold on to the memory of that house you want to you want to just hold on to it because we don't want to let go of that marriage because of that false hope of what the marriage could have been even though we know that it's not going to become that thing so that's where i was but after a while i knew that i couldn't do this anymore i i i prayed about it i knew for sure that god was nudging me out of this marriage telling me that my daughter this marriage is destroying your life and your life is important to me but i just could not let go i struggled really hard i argued with god <laughs> all sorts of craziness that i did during this time but eventually I let go and I knew that for my sake and for the sake of my children I had to put an end to this I needed to leave again and that was how I made the decision that I was going to file for divorce the most painful decision ever but today looking back I'm so grateful I'm so grateful to God for giving me the courage to make to get to that point and not pull back. And that's that's where we're going to end it today ladies. Um I pray for everyone listening to this episode. Um I know some people listen just out of curiosity and some actually listen because they are in dire straits in their marriage right now. I pray for as many as are listening to this episode that are in such dire straits that are scared, that are anxious, that are having panic attacks, that are fearful for their own lives and well-being in their marriage, in a relationship that's supposed to be loving, but is sucking the life out of them, sucking the life out of their children. I pray for as many as are in that kind of situation listening to this episode that the courage to make the right decision for you god will grant to you in the name of jesus even when you make that decision that living is the best for you but you don't know what to do because you're so fearful and because you just don't know how you can continue to live without that marriage because to you your life without that marriage is just non-existence it's not non-existent and you are just so you are in a place of fear where fear overwhelms you i pray that the calm the peace of god that surpasses all understanding will overshadow you in the name of Jesus. I pray that the fog of confusion 
that cloud of confusion that an abused woman lives in that hinders her from seeing the way out and the way forward. I pray that cloud of confusion will lift over you in Jesus' name. Amen. I pray godly wisdom over you. I want you to know that you are loved by God. God cherishes you. You're so important to him. And he, 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 he makes it, he, his, his heart bleeds for you. Jesus weeps over you, knowing the kind of hell and torture that you endure. I know sometimes you feel like God isn't there for you. But he is in your pain. He knows what you're going through. And he wants to pull you out of it. He loves you so dearly. More than you can imagine. So I'll just leave you with those thoughts today. That God loves you more than you can imagine. Have a wonderful week ahead. Has this podcast blessed you? If yes, please head over to Apple Podcasts when marriage hurts and leave a written review for the show. It would be such a blessing to me to know that this show has impacted you in some ways. Also, share this podcast with a friend. Let's spread the word. Lastly, if you would like to be a part of a community of like-minded women of faith who are on a journey to living the best life God has for them despite their marriage challenges, join our Facebook group, When Marriage Hurts. Until next time, remember these words of Jesus. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest.